Hello, beautiful people. My play Tinkerbell is currently running at Adventure Theater MTC. Directed by Nick Olcott and starring Michelle Pallera in the title role, this multicolored tale tells the familiar story from Tinkerbell's point of view, including her meeting of Peter Pan and triumph at the Battle for Neverland. Pirates, puppets, fairies, fighting, and more than a few goof-em-ups. Go to adventuretheater-mtc.org for tickets and performance information. Tinkerbell, now playing at Adventure Theater MTC. Before we get started today, I have a quick note. The original 1960 version of the fantastic song, It Depends on What You Pay, is infamously framed around the word rape. So we will be, quite frankly, discussing this song and all that entails. I will also not be censoring any clips from It Depends on What You Pay during the actual show. I wanted to give you all a quick heads up in case this does not suit your current listening environment and or you have any triggers associated with the repeated use of this word. Now here's the show. Whenever my world falls apart, I never lose hope or lose heart. Whatever the form of the storm that may brew, not with you to lean on, darlings, you. Hello and welcome to the Original Cast, a podcast about original cast albums and the people who love them. I'm Patrick Flynn. My guest today can currently be seen in the role of Captain James T. Hook in the Adventure Theater MTC production of Tinkerbell. It's Peter Boyer, everybody. Uh, hello. How you doing? <laughs> I'm doing good. Thanks for coming down today. Sure, absolutely. And you're My here pleasure. to talk about... I'm here to talk about the Fantastics. Try to remember the kind of September when life and also mellow try to remember the kind of september when grass was green and grain was yellow try to remember the kind of september when you were a tender and cattle fellow try to remember and if the Fantastics, yes, the the longest running American musical and play. I mean, I think it's. I don't okay. think any play has ever run. Not that I know. Twenty thousand performances. How long did this thing run? Ran from May third, nineteen sixty, to January thirteenth, two thousand two. Seventeen thousand mm-hmm. performances. And right behind it here in the United States, Phantom is at 12,622 as of May 27th. So 5,000 to go. There you go. How did the Fantastics come into your life? The Fantastics came into my life because I was cast in the Fantastics when I worked at Rip Stage. (laughs) (laughs) That's good. All right. I I was, uh, I would love to have a great story where I was... You know, sitting with my An father, and we bonded youth, over right. it. But no, I, I was, <laughs> I knew of the musical um, uh, for a long time, but I had never really, um, uh, wasn't that familiar with it. And then um, they were casting at Rep Stage and uh, for the musical, and I was invited to audition for two of the roles. Mm. Uh, uh, El Gallo, which in hindsight kind of makes me go, I don't know that that was... Anything anybody would consider me it for. It depends on how you want to go. Oh, yeah, yeah. That's right, yeah. Um, and for uh, Mortimer, the man who dies. Mm. And uh, uh, my audition was specifically coming up with um, a one-minute death scene. Wow. Yeah. So the, actually, That's this, intense. The, yeah. The, uh, 
So I remember when this was coming up, the uh, um, we're supposed to do uh, a, everybody auditioning for Mortimer had to do a one minute death scene, and my first thought was, "What am I going to do?" Because yeah, all I imagined was, uh, "Yeah, just imagine like lots of gyrating and rolling around on the floor, and right. like looking at the clock, going now." Yeah, right. Um, <laughs> Counting. So I decided to create a storyline. So I created mm. a, a death scene built on the the Kubler Ross five stages of grief. Oh, that's a good idea. <laughs> Denial, anger, bargaining, so, depression, yeah. and acceptance. The, That's good. Yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah. So, the, so the, the, the classic is is that um, uh, Mortimer shoots an imaginary arrow that flies back and hits right. him. So went through the, I went through all the steps. I at first denied that it was a big deal. Then I tried to pull the arrow out and got very angry that I couldn't get anything out. And then I started pleading with the audience. And then I got very sad. And then I just accepted it. And then I died. Right. <laughs> Yeah, That's pretty smart, Peter. That's it good. Worked. Well, it worked. Yeah. You got to have a structure. I yeah. mean, you got to have a structure. Yeah, for a, I mean, a minute, it doesn't, for those of you who aren't performers, it doesn't sound like a long time. It is an eternity oh, yeah. to do when something you, like die. You yeah. That usually takes, I mean, yeah, the only 15 is like there's, seconds. There's, there's no lines, and you have a point A and a point B, and I'm right. like, okay, I have to figure out how to extend this. Yeah, that's good, and you got the part. Yeah. So that, obviously, they liked your audition, so yeah. that's good. He dies well. He does, right, he does very well. Oh, and that is Mortimer's whole thing. I mean, he's, yeah. he's, he's, he's he dies. Mm-hmm. He's very good at mm-hmm. it, and... Uh, were you dressed as a Native American when you died? Uh, yes, for that moment, yes. Okay, yes. Which is not the most problematic thing in the show. We will get no. back. We will get back to that in a minute. But before we do, uh, do you think you could uh, summarize the plot of the Fantastics for our audience? Uh, sure. Okay, it's a play about a character named Mortimer who just wants to be loved. <laughs> <laughs> and. Uh, and that's all he really wants in life. And <laughs> and, and while that's going on. <laughs> It's like the it's like Good. a what's the other movie? It's a play about a nurse, right? It's um, a, right. <laughs> so there's uh so while that's going right, on, there's while also that's this happening, side yeah. story right. that takes up an inordinate <laughs> amount of time. In right. the um, there's uh two uh, young lovers, um, uh, Matt and Louisa, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, they're secretly in love with each other, although their two fathers know about it. Mm-hmm. Their fathers pretend to have a conflict. Um, because they know that if they forbid their children to uh, see each other, then that's exactly what they're going to do. Uh, and they would like to now create a way to um, really get the kids together. So they concoct a plan with the help of El Gallo to um, enact a... We're going to call it an abduction. An and abduction we will scene. come back to that, yes. So that Louisa can be the damsel in distress, and Matt can rescue her, and then the two of them will be together, and they will live happily ever after. And so they concoct this plan with El Gallo, then they stage the whole abduction where Matt rescues Louisa, and then they live happily ever after until Act 2. Right. Intermission. Yeah. (laughs) And then Act 2 starts up, and then they're actually having to hang out with each other, and things are not quite so golden um, in the real-life situation. So... Matt decides he wants to go out into the world uh, because he believes that he can be Prince George fighting the dragon. Uh, so he leaves. and Yeah, because this, uh, this abduction that he conquered El Gallo has instilled him with a false sense of yes. extreme masculinity. Yes. Yeah. And then uh, Luisa is pining, and then Luisa sees El Gallo and wants to run off with El Gallo. So then they have this whole new situation where um, Mortimer and Henry take... Matt along for a good ride where he gets to experience the fullness of life and all the pain that goes along with it. Uh, and Louisa experiences just a very frenetic 
um, whirlwind, whirlwind uh, thing. Yeah, tryst, you know, yeah. romance, certainly. Yeah. Um, which takes them both through the ringer a bit. Uh, and then the two of them, Matt and Louisa, find each other again, realize that what they really want is just each other and that they don't need the that the fantasy is not real and that real life way out there is 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 tough and as long as they have each other everything's groovy right and that's sort of we sort of and well, then sort it of. ends on this very <clears throat> nice little enigmatic moment uh, yeah well it's Gallo basically saying that you know in order to move forward you kind of have to hurt a little bit yes the mm-hmm. pain is inseparable mm-hmm. from pleasure i mean it's the sort of mm-hmm. one of the running themes of this there's a lot of very basic romance themes in here of like if you love something set it free that's pretty much act two mm-hmm. um and that but el Gallo's whole thing seems to be that you need conflict in order to have mm-hmm. have happiness without the mm-hmm. one cannot exist without the other because there's this yeah. moment at the end there's this great there's a wall between the two properties yeah which is excellent on stage because it's played by uh the mute who doesn't oh, have yeah, any yeah. lines Mm-hmm. Uh, who just and I, when I saw it off Broadway uh, in the original run, just held holds a stick out basically, and they climb up over it, and it's it's yeah, non-existent. Yeah, yeah. But they they the wall exists to bring them together. They tear down the wall in Act Two, and then they rebuild it, sort of metaphorically. And at the end, one of them, the father, says, "Let's tear down the wall." And the guy says, "No, no, no. Yeah. We need the wall. Yeah. You have to have the wall." And that's how we end. And then mm-hmm. this sort of like. Things are gonna be what they're gonna be. Is how I feel. Like it's not happily yeah. ever after. It's like it, and then more stuff happens. But we're not going to talk about that yeah. anymore. Um, yeah, this is one of my ten favorite musicals. Cool. I think ever. When I saw it on your list, I was very excited. <laughs> uh, it is absolutely one of the most influential pieces of theater I've mm-hmm. ever experienced. It is everything. And you, as having read Tinkerbell, will know. Uh, you see the, I love stripped down. I love theater for theater. Yeah. I love, like, all that. Let's see the wires. Let's really, like, tear it apart. And then I think that engages the audience more and yeah. then, then sort of having the artifice. Did you get to see this? I guess if you didn't, no, didn't really come I've into never, your life until 2016, you have, didn't no, see it I've in the never, I've line. never seen it on stage. I, I skimmed through some of the movie, which is... Oh, God, yeah. Okay, we'll talk about the movie later. <laughs> <laughs> there's, there's not that much to cover. I... <laughs> really is it? That's true. <laughs> there is a movie. Yeah. It was made in 1995. Joel Gray's in it. Don't get excited. Joey McIntyre is also in it. Uh it's a it's a disaster. I it, it's an obviously you didn't watch yeah. the whole thing. Jo, uh, it no, is an it's... unmitigated disaster of emotion. It's a lot of fun if you're yeah. if for that. Um, but it really shows something interesting to me as a sort of side note. So I saw it at Sullivan Street mm-hmm. uh, in like two thousand. I uh-huh. want to say um, with a mutual friend of the podcast Charlie Haggerty as as Matt and. Uh, it's just, I mean, Sullivan Street was just a basement. I mean, it really was, with even, like, support beams uh-huh. on the performance space, you know, and you just sort of came in and sat, and they were there, and there's a piano and a harp, and the actors are right in your grill. And I remember the theater was not any, I mean, it's only 100 seats or whatever, and the theater wasn't yeah. anywhere close to full, so, like, we all sat in our assigned seats, and then there was a woman who came out and said, okay, if everyone could just move <laughs> in the middle, and we yeah. did, you know, because, what you know. And then we watched the show, and I mean, it was it was amazing. It was mm-hmm. absolutely beautiful. But it really, this show to me lives on that stripped downness, and the movie yeah. adds this huge orchestra to the music. And it doesn't. You can watch the version of much more from the movie yeah. online, and it's just it's so pretentious. It gets sort of big and grand, and yeah, I uh, 
it sort of it takes away from the entire foundation of the, the that that very stripped down yeah um and having things just represent right um like the mute representing the wall and all that sort of stuff that it's it's you can't run with the imagination in the movie because the imagination's all right there in front of you and, and so many inexplicable <clears throat> things happen mm-hmm. in in the play like w- with the abduction which we're going to talk about in detail in a second uh where like i mean it's just two actors el gallo and matt but it's supposed to represent the sort of horde that comes and kidnaps Louisa, led by El Gaia, with because yeah. there's horses and there's, there's all this like sound oh, yeah. effect, which with on the stage is sound effects and dance is very charming. Oh yeah, but to actually represent that in a movie mm-hmm. gives the abduction this like tremendous scale that doesn't make any sense. It yeah. suddenly feels very real instead of this sort of like oh storybook imagined yeah. dreamy thing. Well, yeah, the, the 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 on stage you get to see the 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 characters get caught up in their own imagination. Yes. Where it's like, yeah, in the movie, which is you, part of the bit, because you're seeing the imagination, you're not. That's not what you're experiencing. Yeah, I think there is a good way to make a movie out of this musical. They mm-hmm. haven't, they haven't done it yet. Uh, mm-hmm. So, but I feel that it is important here at the top to address. I, I, I hesitate to call it. That was an actual <laughs> the, the, swallow. The, uh, that wasn't me getting nervous. Uh, the elephant in the room uh, about this show. I, I don't like to call it that because I feel it diminishes it a little bit. But so there is a song for those of you who don't know. And, but you heard the disclaimer I put at the beginning of this podcast, which you didn't. I'm recording that later. Oh. There is a um, there's a song in this show uh, in the middle of Act One. That's El Gallo's song called uh, "It Depends on What You Pay," where he presents to the the fathers their options. They they come to say, mm-hmm. "We want to hire you for this thing," and he says, "The cost, senor, depends upon the quality of the rape." The what? Forgive me, the attempted rape. Now, I know you prefer abduction, but the proper word is rape. It's short and businesslike. Rape. 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 pretty rape. Such a pretty Open schoolboy rape with little mandolins and perhaps a cape. The rape by coach, it's little in request. The rape by day, but the rape by night is best. Just try to see it, and you will soon agree, senors, why in my regret when you can get the sort of rape you'll never ever forget. You can get the rape emphatic, you can get the rape polite, you can get the rape with Indians, a very charming sight. You can get the rape on horseback, they all say it's new and gay. So you see, the sort of rape depends on what you pay. It depends on what you pay. The kids will love it. It depends on what you pay. So why this thing? He then tries to draw a distinction between rape, as in the physical act of sexual violence, and rape as in the rape of Lucretia or the rape of the Sabine women to mean kidnapping. Mm-hmm. Um, I think in, in Lucretia it's actually, it's still It's the, both. Uh, I know, yeah. it's both. He and he <laughs> says, there's the, there's the scene, I remember when we saw it in 2000, this song has undergone three iterations. Mm-hmm. It was in its second iteration where everything was still rape, but he there's a lot more lines about how like, Abduction. Yeah. And he changed the line. Why? 
invite regret. When you can order an abduction, you will never forget. An abduction that's emphatic, an abduction that's polite, an abduction done with Indians, a truly charming sight. Indians. An abduction done on horseback, they all say it's new and gay. So you see, the masquerade depends on what you pay. It depends on what you pay. Kids would love it. It depends on what you pay. Sort of, they were on their way yeah. to what is now the version of the song that you get. Um, and... Yeah, so you did the well, you did it in 2016. Then you did the uh, 2014. 2014. Yeah, yeah. But either way, you did the everything after 2006 has had the. Re- oh, we definitely did not fully revised for the... fully revised lyrics. Yeah. yeah, did it still? Did he still call it a rape at the beginning? I honestly don't remember. Mm-hmm. I don't remember what we did. I think it's and, partly because by that point, you know, my character is sitting in the dressing room <laughs> waiting to go on. So, <clears throat> so, so some of the Mortimer's some of those, involved in a lot of the offstage stuff that you don't get to yes, see. But it's yes, really he's good. very important at yeah. you know making sure, checking that the lights in the dressing room work. You know, um, <laughs> one and two. And, um, uh. <laughs> yeah. So there's so uh, there's some of the scenes where I just I have no idea because uh, mm-hmm. they were rehearsed and I How it was peeked handled. in and I was like, oh okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, I know that we very certainly didn't do it the way that it was originally. Right. Um, which I was listening to on the car on the way here. And, and uh, oh, he he says the word and he hold, uh, he says it repeatedly and holds the note and yes. belts it out. And I'm like, oh, yes. I guess you can't, you can't soft pedal that one. Nope, uh, you can't. It is... So just to be clear for, for those who may be confused at home, uh, this is abhorrent and... Uh, it, this it is one of those things where I this thing that I love dearly mm-hmm. has this horrible violation in the middle of Act One, really for no reason. Mm-hmm. I mean, it just feels, and it also like you could. You, the, I've heard excuses of like, oh, it was the time. First of all, it was 1960. It was not the time. But second of all, they knew what they were doing because the father reacts to it as this like, I'm sorry, what did you say? Like he has this huge what, as you said. Yeah. So obviously they knew. This was, it's kind of being played as a joke a little bit in that moment to me. Well, they, they, I mean, obviously knew it, they knew it because they had the lines about it, but then you have the fact that he, he belts it out over and over again. And yeah. the fact that in, the, you know, in the sixties, the thing was tremendously successful. So even though people knew the meaning, it didn't have the weight. Right. Um, and that kind of came later because there's no way they would have been able to, to, have this song where he's belting that out uh if everybody's going oh this is right you know it... and it really did i have to say when i saw it tense the audience up in a mm-hmm. serious way to show like 40 years later uh uh-huh. you know things are different yeah uh but it is so celebratory that's the big mm-hmm. thing for me that makes it as bad as it is it is such mm-hmm. a celebratory number and it it really goes step by step describing all these different kinds of rapes you can order off of his menu yeah which are it it becomes to me it just becomes so insane to be like you're sitting there listening to and it's jerry orbach you know what i mean and it's i I love jerry orbach and he's really like he's got a beautiful voice it's a really well-written song musically so it sticks in your head, yeah. and which is the other horrible double-edged sort of it. And it just, but it is at the end of the day, and this isn't, you know, at the end of the day, it is a glorification of the word rape. And if and that enough is to be 
is, is enough to justify it being excised from, yeah. from the production. Uh, yeah, I mean, he's glorifying in in the in a different meaning than we take with it, but now we can't. Exactly right, we, we just can't. can't. It doesn't. It is not used that mm-hmm. way anymore. And it, but even that, like the abduction of a woman, shouldn't be. I understand, like in the part of the of the show, it that can have a kind of like a fun tinge to it. Yeah, I think this is also one of those. Also from like, you don't want to say it's like oh, it's of its time too much, but this is still like. You know, 1960 was still really the 50s. Oh, sure. Um, and it was st- the the. I have a thing that the, the decade doesn't really start till like four yeah, years in. Yeah. yeah, right. And the story is still like that very sort of, uh, very traditional. The uh, she wants to be the damsel in distress, and mm-hmm. he wants to be the knight that saves her. There right. is nothing in there where where they're going. Wait a minute, uh, maybe she could do a little saving herself right that's that's just not there that's not in the show no absolutely yeah yeah oh there's a lot i I shouldn't say like this is it is a very simplistic fairy tale-ish like Mm -hmm. i say type of thing and uh, yeah i don't object in in grand sense especially because it's Mm -hmm. later greatly like the second act really undercuts everything they're doing in the first act to great effect that this whole abduction plot is the issue the issue is to me not only using the word rape but singing it in such a way, in such a celebratory way. Yeah. And also, it's one of those weird things where they say it so many times yeah. that at the end of the day, the dominant meeting takes over. And I, I have to say that probably even in like 1960s, especially in New York, when you said, you know, so-and-so was raped, nobody said, now, did you mean abducted or actual like, oh, you meant, oh, yeah. I'm sorry. Okay, yeah, sorry. Yeah, just, you know, it, it's still, the dominant meeting even at the time was, was the act of violence. Yeah. So... To that end, it and it has now, to much to its credit, it has been changed. Um, yeah. If you get the 2016, 2000, no, excuse me, 2006 cast album, it has the new lyrics on it, um, which still includes a mention of rape at the beginning, which is then he quickly backs off of when the fathers kind of object. Yeah. And he now holds... Because, senor, depends on the quality of the rape. No. Forgive me, the attempted rape, the abduction, the seizure, the raid, the chase. In your case, I think I would recommend a first class. You mean we get a choice? Yes, of course. And with regular union rates, it depends on what you pay. cleans it up and it, it does still work yeah. without the use of the word rape and uh, they also retitled which is called on this cast album the rape ballet uh, is now called the abduction ballet yes uh, so, <laughs> because the word does come back when he does come out and say orchestra accelerando con molto everybody get your swords Indians ready Indians rape and it, that sort of yeah he definitely did not say that to me on stage <laughs> <laughs> yeah <laughs> so Mortimer goes what <laughs> they just seem to be having so much fun uh-huh. with the word when they use it and that sort of like to me it reminds me of like little kids playing around with cursing you yeah. know I mean? where there's this sort of like glee about ooh look what we're doing so yeah. they're not little kids they're grown adults in a theater we've all paid to come see and it so yeah that's where my kind of like 
disgust comes in. Uh, and I just wanted to, in case anyone was curious, just come. Just imagining this bad scene happening at the time. Guy, you know, which is, it's okay, Martha. He doesn't mean that with right. the word. <laughs> oh, it's not a trigger. Right. Don't just sit there and be calm. <laughs> Uh, uh. And it's Cary Grant. Yes. Uh, well, it's 1960. It can be Cary Grant. Uh, yeah. uh, <laughs> don't tell me what to do. I don't do a good Cary Grant. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So I just wanted to throw that out at the top that we're going to talk around it. We may it may come up again because it it just it's in the show. Mm-hmm. But um, I didn't want everyone to sit there and kind of wondering are they going to talk about this? Yeah. Obviously, it, you yeah. can't you can't talk about this recording of yeah. the show and not you can't even talk about the show. It's in and it's also. I first heard about this show and this song um, because when I was doing community theater in in the early 90s, we were always exchanging mixtapes mm-hmm. of Broadway shows. And I've just like, oh, cool. and this was always just called the rape song because no one could remember that it's called It Depends on What You Pay. Yeah. It, it's just called like the dominant word is rape. He says it at the beginning and the big thing. So it's the rape song. And that's when I got it on the tape and I was like, the the what? I mean, I was kind of the father for a second. I said this this girl who gave it to me was like, "What?" She's like, "Oh yeah, you got you'll love it. It's a great song." And I was like, "Okay," and I did. <laughs> I mean, it's a great song. And at twelve or thirteen, you know, it didn't occur to me that like I was my approach as a kid was always like, "Well, it's in the show. Like they know what they're doing. They're adults. Yeah. They're professionals." So clearly it's fine. And you know, I'm yeah. walking around the house singing this song, and my mom's like, "You oh, need to stop. Uh, yeah. yeah, you need to shut it down." And uh, you know, I did. But, uh, yeah, so that's, it depends on what you pay. It will come back up again, but I wanted to slot mm-hmm. that in right at the top um, and address it. So uh, there's a lot of different directions we can go with the actual text of the show. Um, and I do kind of want to come at it, though, because you played Mortimer, yep. from that sort of direction uh, okay. and talk about it more in the sense of we have these sort of stock characters in Matt and Louisa mm-hmm. and their fathers. Um, and uh, even El Gallo is the sort of traditional, though he, he yeah. develops <clears throat> complex. He is more complex than that. We learn his true complexity in act two. Um, so what I really want to focus on is uh, more act two than act one, but also to talk about um, Henry and Mortimer uh-huh. as devices because like in my memory el gallo takes the job and says all right we're gonna get a first class and so i have i'll go get my crew together and he just sort of yeah. chances upon these or finds these two guys who hang oh, out i always sort of assumed that they're his they were crew. all yeah okay yeah that they i mean you sort of imagine that they're this 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 may also be kind of informed because i had seen because when i saw the movie they they had their kind of like carnival-esque they had, a, yeah. they had like a traveling tent, so I, I, I sort of yeah. assumed that that they were part of like a, a a traveling group that did theatrical things and occasionally did uh, thing right. extra made extra money on the side <laughs> staging abductions. Right. Um, uh, so I was sort of like the yeah I was figured that they were part of his, it, part of his crew. That is his job. I mean, yeah, you're in mm-hmm. the movie. He he's like the leader of a traveling carnival, and that's a whole other thing. But. In in the play, he's just this guy. Like they they dads find mm-hmm. this guy, and it's sort of he does have this edge to him. Whether you don't quite know whether he's really a bandit or a bad guy, or if he's like doing 
the thing, you know, if he if this is what he does. You if you need yeah. someone to abduct your kids for romantic purposes, you you know, he has a business card, call El Gallo, you know. Yeah. Klondike five seven one four two. Uh <laughs> he doesn't he, but the play doesn't dwell on that because it doesn't have to. So what kind of what kind of world did you guys construct for that though, to sort of ground it in some kind of pathos and, and fun? Or did you find you didn't have to because it's just I don't... S- such comedy? I assume that came up somewhere, but I really don't remember it. Mm-hmm. I, I kind of remember it just kind of sinking into it. Um, I mean, I, I will say that, that I think uh, um, the the play creates the... It's like a lot of plays where you, you just sort of accept that the world in the play just works. Mm-hmm. You know, so it's okay to have a mute as a wall. And it's not that the players have to imagine that there's an actual wall there. It, like, it just works. Mm-hmm. Um, and the old actor and... and uh, the man who dies can just exist in that world because it just works. It's also a really interesting thing of like, what do you need? Like, what's important in a romantic story? And what mm-hmm. we need is the the boy and the girl, the problem, which is El Gallo. He's going to play mm-hmm. the role of the problem. But then we also need <laughs> someone needs to die. Like, there needs yeah. to be these stakes to it, and it's really interesting yeah. that he comes I, in to die. Well, there. Um, I do remember. I, I I think we actually did discuss a little something where. Um, uh, you know, Al Gallo creates the problem, but he creates the problem with the knowledge that it's a problem that needs to be solved right. for them to move forward. Mm-hmm. And especially in, in Act Two, yes, uh, that when the when Matt wants to run off and Lisa wants this this um, cinematic romance, then he basically goes, "Okay, I got to fix this." Yeah. Um, so he's so he's still a very moral character. Um, yeah. In the fact that he he sees the problem and he sees like I know we're going to have to go through a painful thing to get to the next step. But Mortimer and Henry don't. They they don't have to have any morality at all. They just can kind oh, of go along for the ride. Yeah. And I think we even talked about that. It's like, we don't have to think about all this sort of stuff. We get to totally abuse Matt, and it's mm-hmm. fine. This yeah. is just what we do. Yeah, because I really want to... We're going to spend more time on Act 2 than Act 1, because Act 1 is a very typical uh-huh. romance story and takes place in the <laughs> moonlight, which is an interesting device. Again, yeah. Act 1 is all in the moon, and Act 2 is in the sun. Yeah. And this idea of when you can see, you see that like when the light is shining bright, yeah. things look very, very different. Um, and even there's a lot of like romantic speeches and eloquent things that the characters say to the audience in Act One that then kind of get twisted in Act Two, uh, starting right off the bat with the plum is this plum is too ripe. Take away the blue lagoon What at night seems oh so scenic Maybe sinning much too soon On top of Act 2, which is just a song that I absolutely love where these characters are sitting around just sort of going like this isn't working like nothing yeah and it's and and this plum is too ripe don't watch me while I'm eating you know what I mean yeah So Those like little everyday working. arguments. Everything's perfect, so I need a problem. Right. And it does feel that way, though. It feels yeah. that, like, El Gallo's kind of vindicated because if if there isn't an actual problem, they mm-hmm. create the problems. Like, they make problems for themselves. <laughs> There's, uh, Act One has, um, when he's singing to Louisa, I think the first time, and he's he calling her, like, uh, oh, the Juliet. Yeah. yeah. Don't know what to call her. She's too vibrant for a name. 
Shall I call her? Juliet! Yes, dear! Helena! Yes, dear! And Cassandra! And Cleopatra! And Beatrice! And also Guinevere! What, dear? I think she's there. Juliet and Cleopatra, and I'm listening to this like all these go south real quick. Yes. Um, so. Uh, and Beatrice and Guinevere. Yeah. Yeah, none of these ended <laughs> Guinevere. Well. well, depending on who. Well, um, no, even even if he's Lancelot, it doesn't go well. That's no, true. Okay, no, never yeah, mind. The yeah. story of Guinevere goes very, very terribly. Badly. Yes, yes, yes. Um, well, it's, and actually, as soon as he said Romeo and Juliet, I was like, that's. Uh, I, I, I have a thing with Romeo and Juliet because everybody talks about it like it's such it's such the perfect romance. I'm like, no, no it's, it's not. not. It's 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 really a tragedy about how the adults are not paying attention to the because the the, mm-hmm. the the kids get into this romance just at the drop of a hat. Yeah. Um and they have no sense of reality because they're not old enough for right. it. And the parents are so caught up in their conflict that they don't see what's happening with Romeo and Juliet. Which is kind um, of what <clears throat> is happening in this show, just in the opposite yeah. direction. The parents are paying way too close attention to their kids mm-hmm. and focusing in on this sort of faux feud yeah. as a representation of Romeo and Juliet. Like, oh, that's what happens in Romeo and yeah. Juliet. The parents fight and the kids come together. So we'll be great. We just won't go all the way to the end yeah. where the kids die, you know, which is sort yeah. of the part that everyone forgets. Because the parents believe that, like, okay, once once we do this great act that brings the kids together, then everybody gets to live happily ever after without realizing the same sort of thing. Is that yeah. the thing that makes their relationship work up to that point is the conflict. Yeah. Well, and they're working together. They have a goal. I mean, it mm-hmm. is that it's that funny thing of like we have something to do. And when you take away, mm-hmm. like, are oh, we achieved our goal? There's um, what? I, I read this book a whole bunch of years ago. Uh, where somebody was examining, I think the main thing was the Tristan and I sold mm-hmm. uh, story, um, and she was talking about the, the problem with it is that it's there's always the pursuit there. The relationship always works as the pursuit, and mm-hmm. there is one time in the story where they're they're able to be together in a cave, and at that point they're like they have this moment of I don't know what to do, yeah, and that they literally get themselves out of it so that he can pursue her again. <laughs> Because <clears throat> like that's they, what it they, is. Yeah, they yeah. can't. They can never actually be together. They always have to pursue each other. Right. And it doesn't. Yeah, because it doesn't work. Yeah. With, that's all the relationship is, and that's all this relationship is. I mean, it, it's very clearly yeah. kind of drawn out that this is without the wall and the clandestine excitement. This relationship has no foundation. It is yeah. only these two people, you know, are are chasing each other because their parents correctly assumed that if we say don't chase him they will chase each other. Yeah. Like they assume the children are contrary, but you can't build a relationship on contrariness. Yeah. It doesn't work. I do like, I really like those stories where they do, <clears throat> um, they do take that extra step of looking at the happily ever after, uh, like, uh, oh, uh, I think into the woods. Oh, into the woods. Is a, yeah. And I, I think that I, I haven't listened to it in a long time. Uh, I think Pippin kind of does the same. Pippin thing. absolutely like, does. Yeah. yeah. They, they, Pippin does it a couple different times, mm-hmm. which is another one of my 10 favorite musicals. Yes, I have a list, um, <laughs> which is also ties into. I mean, Pippin and the show are very connected in yeah. meta theatricality and omniscient narrator and stuff too. Uh, but yeah, Pippin several times thinks he finds the answer and then mucks it up and has to be bailed yeah. out and then moves on. And yeah, it becomes sort of a reoccurring theme of yeah. that show. Pippin has no idea what he's doing, and that's pretty funny. And. This show is that, yeah, it, it, it just does it much more clearly where it's, you know, act one is act one and then we break into act two. I mean, the seminal scene in act two 
is when Matt duels because there's a big duel. Yeah. A guy kidnaps Matt Luisa in Act mm-hmm. One, and they duel, and he kills Elgayo. Right, Elgayo dies. Like, oh, yeah, and yeah, dies yeah. better than Mortimer. <clears throat> almost like yeah. that's sort of the bit. Well, actually, I mean, well, yeah. So this Hit this, this yeah. is a, a little bit of a sidebar. Um, so my audition for Mortimer went so well that we tried to put it in the show, and it just wasn't working. Mm-hmm. And eventually came to realize that the reason it didn't work was because. Elgayo has such a big death scene that if um, Mortimer has a grand death scene, it takes away from... So really, Mortimer just has to kind of just keel over. Right. Um, and that's really funny. But he yeah. can't have an extended death scene because we have that at the end of Act Act 1. Right. Where he dies. Um, I mean, he dies for a very... It's on the recording, actually. You can hear Jerry oh, yeah. Orbach yep. die <laughs> as the piano plays. Yep. Um, yeah, and it's a it's this big... You know, he's the best at what he does. Yeah. And then at the, in Act 2, when he reemerges. Matt challenges him to a duel again. Yeah. And El Gallo, at least when I saw it, just quickly mm-hmm. disarms him. I mean, oh, yeah. it takes two seconds. And it's because yeah. he has no, he's not actually a hero, yeah. Matt. He has no training in how to fight and he doesn't know what he's doing. Yeah. And it, it is sort of the moment of, it's the great apex moment where Luisa starts to get very interested in El Gallo as alpha male on stage. Mm-hmm. And Matt starts to go, I need to go. Like, I need to yeah. get out and go. Um, Though, does that moment take place before or after I can see it? I can never remember. Oh, I can't see it. Oh. Let me see. I have the script right here. I honestly don't remember. Um, I, know that, um, I don't know if this is something that they did as a regular thing in productions or if this was... Uh, when we did the, the it's big... It's after. Pardon, sorry. When we did the big uh, dramatic uh, abduction and... Mm-hmm. Uh, death scene in, in at the end of act one that all the swords were dowel rods that's the way it was yeah, in okay yeah Broadway in act well, two yeah. when he actually we have the we have the actual swords and oh so really oh okay. yeah in act, act two we had the we had actual swords and so i think the idea is like this is real uh, yeah you think you can really take the, no you can't no you can't do it i think i think el Gallo is sometimes is is a harder cast than a lot of people think because oh, gosh, he has yeah. to have he has to have a fair amount of range he's supposed to be that that swarthy romantic type but he's also supposed to really get the idea oh yeah that, um uh, uh of i'm not being clear uh of, of how it all works and the, and the painting he has to he has to have that sort of subtle understanding of uh that this swarthy thing is all nice but i'm now going to play like we're going to have this romantic thing and this is going to hurt all of us yeah including myself including myself i mean mm-hmm. he had that monologue he delivers yeah. and i'm so glad <laughs> it's on the album um there's two monologues on the album. There is uh, yeah. You Wonder How These Things Begin in Act One, which is a very nice romantic imagery thing yeah. before soon it's going to rain. And then in Act Two, he delivers this monologue, which I think is astonishingly good, where he lays out his whole philosophy, basically. There is a curious paradox that no one can explain. Who understands the secret of the reaping of the grain? Who understands why spring is born out of winter's laboring pain? or why we must all die of it before we grow again. I do not know the answer. I merely know it's true. I hurt them for that reason. And myself a little bit too. He is not yeah. immune from the pain he's causing. When El Gallo and the leading player in Pippin step into the scene, they are themselves. They are not, you know, it's not the narrator. Yeah. And then I will also be playing the role of blah, blah, blah. Yeah. They are who they are. And... In both of those shows, 
they go, th they have real emotional investment in mm -hmm. how the story plays out and they're guiding it and they're moving it, but they're also at the whim of the characters making the correct decisions <laughs> based yeah. in the various yeah. moments. And I, I think it's really great and I can see it when El Gallo at the beginning of that song sort of tries to talk Matt out of leaving. And then when it's clear that Matt's got to go, he's like, well, all right, if we're going to do this, then we're going to do it. Yeah. And you're going to hate it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm going to get my boys in who are going to really show you how this works. So that, I, I, that which leads into, a sh a, so actually, I should say, I'll jump around here a little bit, but the, the, the next song, Plant a Radish by the, in Act 2 by the Fathers, is a song that I really, I get it, and it has to exist. It really bugs me. <laughs> it's... It's a fun number. Oh, gosh. But the emotional the, the, propulsion is all interrupted by this. The dads have such dad songs. <laughs> Which just... in Act 1 is great. When you meet them and they have this their their philosophy. Oh, dogs got to bark, a mule's got to play. Soldiers must fight and preachers must pray. And children, I guess, must get their own way. The minute that you say no. Why did the kids pour jam on the cat? Raspberry jam all over the cat. Why should the kids do something like that when all that we said was no? I guess it's important because like their whole thing in Act 1 is we get kids. Like we've got this uh -huh. thing on lock. And then in Act 2 they're like, nope, I like vegetables better than kids. Yeah. Because <laughs> this whole thing that, that, that I mean, <laughs> the the... One of the things that El Gaia has is like you you want to run out into this big great big world, it's just not going to be fun. Mm -hmm. And the dads have have clearly their life has they now live in this very small zone. Mm -hmm. Uh kind of by choice or by destiny, but they also like you know, they know that the 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 uh the kid's sense of reality isn't really there, but they kind of have chosen to go, we're we're gonna exist just in this nice little environment. We have our garden mm -hmm. and there's not much else. Nope. I was actually thinking on the way here that like, do they, do they work? That is never that's another <laughs> one of that's another reason the movie doesn't work though, because like you can have two dads who live next to each other with seemingly no one else yeah. around. And if the show isn't about the fact that like they're farmers or whatever, yeah, then it doesn't matter whether they have land or whether they how they make money. They're just the dads in the yeah. story. And they yes. garden and they do stuff, you know, yeah. like but they don't really have they kind of never leave their property, it would seem to me. Like, yeah. You know, it, and you don't know whether it's because they've been out in the world or what. They just don't, you know. I think it's almost like the, the in the in the world of the Fantastics of the way that it's originally written, that it kind of, it that they live in this nice little contained world by choice, the world mm -hmm. of the Fantastics. Um, and that uh, the their kids will hopefully want to live in this little world. But if you 
really want to get out into that world that is off stage left. Right. Well, we'll take you there. Yeah. We'll, we'll take you behind the scrim and see this world. But but um, the world you really want to live in is just this nice little thing. Yeah. Um, so it's not reality at all. No. But yeah, in the movies, the, in the movie, all of a sudden you're like, okay, what else do they do? And right. what did happen to their spouses? Yes. You know, Never addressed. They must addressed. have had them at some point in time. The Never only thing, Yeah. The only thing that's really there is... It's biologically, is, they must have had spouses. Yeah. <laughs> is, uh, you know, something must have happened because Louisa has the thing later on with her uh, mother's necklace. Right. I think. Um, uh, but that's all you get. Yep. And it's never... And again, on stage, that's kind of fine. You kind of mm-hmm. like accept and move on. And in a film, it does raise so many more questions yeah. than it answers. Uh, and you wonder, like, what is this place they live in? And it also... The absurdity in the movie of the two houses being right next to each other and no one else being around does oh, yeah. make you kind of go like... I'm sorry, like, this is insane. These two people, like, the wall doesn't feel like such a barrier. We can just walk around it. Like, yeah. we can, Whereas in the stage, you kind of get the feeling that they cannot cross the wall for whatever reason. They can't go off yeah. stage, and when they're on stage, there's a wall in between them. Yeah. It's just impossible to represent in a film, mm-hmm. in a literal sense. You could suggest it, obviously. But, yeah, it's... It, it, the show works because it's a theater piece, which is yeah. another reason I love it. Like, once you take it out of the theater... It, it it isn't itself anymore. It's something entirely entirely different. Yeah. And uh, so when you so then, but after this brief dad song, <laughs> I like that. Um, we get round and round, which would have been a number you would have been deeply involved with as uh, as more. Oh yeah. More, where we have the simultaneous action of El Gallo <laughs> taking Luisa on a whirlwind tour of, I mean, the world basically. Yeah. And uh, Mortimer and Henry taking Matt on a whirlwind tour of uh, mm-hmm. the world. <laughs> I think this was they, also when we were dressed as pirates. As you, I mean, as Henry and Mortimer put Matt on a bed of nails, beat, put him in a monkey suit and beat him up. I mean, these things that Louisa's describing. Mm-hmm. And they set him on fire at one point, I believe. Uh-huh. Is that correct? Yeah. Lisa, yeah. Okay. <laughs> You know, things things, things done with changing lights and lots of fabric. <laughs> and but this comes to an interesting moment that I'd love to get your uh, your thoughts on. Oh, look at the peasants! They're lighting candelabra. No, they're lighting torches. Yes, see, they started burning the palaces. Oh, there goes the nose. Oh, what fun! I adore pyrotechnics. Oh, that man! Look out! He's burning. My God, he's on fire! Keep on dancing. But he's just put up the mask, and it's pretty. Help! Oh, isn't he beautiful? He's all sort of orange. Red orange. That's one of my favorite colors. Help! You look lovely. We'll just dance. We'll kick up our heels to music and dance. What is the mask? to you because it's a really interesting image it's nothing we've seen before it's not like we know this mask from act one has magical properties he's just like just put up the mask and then it's pretty and that's uh-huh. a really interesting device it doesn't come back it's only in this number and what so what is that to you uh i would say that the mask is essentially the the denial of reality and the 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 pretending of this fake world. Have you ever seen the movie Labyrinth? Absolutely. So you know when she gets into that when she eats the the peach and suddenly gets into that magic world mm-hmm. and it's all um 
uh, all the fancy dresses, and and somewhere in there she realizes like this is not how this is supposed to work. Right. And it's it's kind of like that the mask the mask becomes this separation between um, uh, her and acknowledging sort of like pain. Mm-hmm. And you sort of imagine like those those. Uh, you can imagine those safaris in India where you see the poor people over there, but oh, oh, they're, I'm sure they're fine. Right. You know, and you just, you don't, you just don't have to deal with it. It is, it is a little weird. I was listening to it and it feels very acceptable mm-hmm. in that as long as she has that mask, it, she doesn't have to engage anything really. Mm-hmm. So it's, that's about as far as it, I got. It's from. funny to me that it's a <clears throat> mask though. That's what's always struck mm-hmm. me as amusing is it's not glasses. It's not. A screen, you know, it could be anything. Uh-huh. They're they're inventing it in this song. It's a mask which hides from her the cruelty of of the world, but it also hides her. It's it's sort of covering up her own identity in the mm-hmm. moment, and it is making her, since she can't see all the pain, it is yeah. really making her deny herself. I mean, it's funny how much she turns on a dime when the mask is put on. Her face. She's yeah. really freaking out. We'll be in Benghazi or maybe Bombay. I understand India is terribly gay. The natives assemble on feast day and play. But they're snakes? Yes! What a racket it makes! Oh, I think I'm going to love India. Such a thick population. I adore crowds. Oh, look, there's a faker. Hi, faker. Everybody See, he's there with all his assistants. They all know Yogi. It's just loads of fun. Oh, look, there's a young one. They're putting him down on some nails. If he fails, he'll be cut to bits by those nails. Help. Somebody help him. Mask. He's bleeding. Mask. Horrible. Mask. Oh, go on. Sit down harder. He's a sissy. I don't believe he's a real faker. They never complain. He's a fake faker. Help. The two of them deal with wanting to exist in this fantasy that they believe is out there. That his is uh, going out into the real world and finding out that things are hard. Mm -hmm. And hers is going on this world romance that doesn't give her a break. Mm. And that seems to be the thing that... that, the the costs for them are different. He he goes through pain, but he just she just can't stop. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's, it's I mean for both of them it it, it is that the, the things can't stop, but it's it's um it's like she's she wants to be the Disney princess, but okay if you're going to sign up for this, then it never it it never ends. It, it exhausts you. Mm-hmm. It wipes um, you out. Yeah. yeah, but they but their experiences are in, are entirely different. Yeah. Is it's an interesting. She also gets she gets left. I mean, the, mm-hmm. a big experience. So she has. Oh yeah. It's kind of a twist. Uh, there's a few moments in the in round and round, and then the scene that follows. She. I mean, her "I want" song at the beginning is much more. I'd like to be not evil, but a little worldly wise. To be the kind of girl designed to be kissed upon the eyes. I'd like.
specific thing she says is she wants to be kissed upon the eyes. Yeah. And then he does that at the at, after they get back. He kisses her on the eyes and then he leaves her. And she's left in this lurch where she's mm-hmm. like emotionally wrapped up in this guy in whatever capacity, at least depending on him for safety. Yeah. And then he leaves her. I mean, very flat. Yeah. And he's just like, I'm done. Like, we're done. Bye. And she's left in that kind of painful emptiness. Mm-hmm. Um, and in my, I mean, in the best interpretation to me, she sort of then has to reconcile with all she's been through and discovers, like you say, that it's relentless and it's also unsatisfying. Yeah. Like there's nothing, she still feels, what's so interesting to me about the way they come back to each other is they have a lot more experience, but they don't feel different. They feel the same. They both feel like, ugh. You know, like they yeah. feel the same at the end of Act Two until they come back together, as they do at the top of Act Two. Like this was not satisfying. I do think that um, I forget. I even had. I also had this on the way down. That that he takes her on this this world romance that is that is not real because it's always like always put the mask on so you never actually have to deal with it all. Um, but then when he takes the takes the takes the necklace and then abandons her, um, I think there's also the idea that like if you're looking for the guy that's going to take you on this whirlwind romance, he doesn't exist. He's the, the guy that's going to do this is really a charlatan. Mm-hmm. So Elgayo basically plays the charlatan, um, which is not which is partly genuine to himself, but not completely because in doing so he hurts himself. Right. Um, it's like you, you this guy that you're looking for this experience that you're looking for doesn't really exist. The kind of guy that, that, that can provide you with this will provide you with this for a week and then will take all your, all, mm-hmm. all your money and leave and, or take all that's valuable. Well, to see, he will siphon from you something yeah. valuable. Yeah. I mean, I think that the overt symbolism there is mm-hmm. virginity. I mean, it feels to me that like there is, or at least innocence, there is a symbol of taking her, uh-huh. her connection to the, her mother's locket. She's not a little girl when she comes back anymore. Yeah. I mean, however you want to <clears> interpret that. She's she's grown up Mm -hmm. and it is it's really interesting to me that she is the one like you you would kind of expect in a more typical story that Matt would go out and have fun like the guy would go out and be like I'm going to be a guy and I'm going to go partying and robbing Uh and blah 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 and I'm going to you know meet all these girls and it's going to be a thing and then come and then he'll have this sense of emptiness and he'll come home because that's what he should do and she'll just sit there and (laughs) pine you know like that's sort of the traditional romantic plot element to it yeah but instead because he he wants to be a man like when he leaves and he gets you know so she goes on this sort of twisted romance journey it does it does subvert exactly the the romantic image they have of she imagines being the damsel in distress that that gets rescued Mm -hmm. and he imagines being the knight in shining armor riding the horse so his is all activity Mm -hmm. that's true and hers is all waiting for my prince to Mm -hmm. take care of me so she gets she gets the the perversion of the prince taking care of her, and he gets the perversion of of the 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 active guy. What do you think Mortimer's role and Henry's role in all that is? I mean, as a sense of like, they're clearly charged with like they know what they're doing. They've yeah. done this before. I mean, that is that kind of vibe of like you know, this is part two of our process. Oh, they're they're the devil's imps. <laughs> <laughs> you know, do you think they enjoy? I mean, it's an interesting question. Oh, of I think they absolutely they love enjoy it. it. Okay, it's it's it's. I almost <laughs> find like that. I don't feel like they're they're immoral. They're just, just amoral. You know, mm-hmm. morality doesn't really matter. It's, if it, it's just not important to them. Mm-hmm. So if he says, "Take this guy out and show him what life is really about," okie dokie. Yeah, right. You know, um, 
So what do you want, a number the, seven? I mean, that's, you, that's yeah. the kind of great thing about that I really liked about playing that role. It was like it just, they just exist to go do a thing. Yeah. You know, uh, go die. They okay. do. I mean, yeah. they do. They um, have. He's an actor, and and he dies. I mean, they're both yeah. actors, but like Mortimer dies, and that's he's waiting for that chance. But of course, he doesn't do that in Act Two. He abuses. <laughs> yeah. When they said like, go abuse him. Okay. Right. All right. Got it. If you really wanted to play it out, you sort of imagine that that eventually their their existence. They, the only thing that makes their existence work is that they have a guiding hand like El Gallo, right? Uh, moving them along. If they don't have that, then they would just be wandering aimlessly and would you know drink a lot and eventually get killed by somebody. Right. Some, something. You know, bigger, um, yeah. <clears throat> True so, irony. <laughs> so the only thing that allows them to exist there is having somebody else that that sort of shepherds them. Mm-hmm. Um, well, that just sounds very deep. <laughs> it does, well, that's the thing, though. Like, is it? I, I think one like this show ran for. Hang on, I got it. Forty six years. What was it? Forty two years. It ran for uh-huh. forty two years. Not only because, like, well, a large reason the show ran for forty two years is because it was in a basement in the village mm-hmm. with a hundred seater, <clears throat> one costume, no set, two piece orchestra, six actors. Yeah. Go. Like, I don't want to diminish that at all. It was cheap. That's one yeah. reason it got to run as long as it did. But you can't run for forty two years and have nothing to say and not be like a Vegas show. You know what I mean? Like. There's not much. There's nothing to see here, you know, spectacle wise. Like Phantom can run forever uh-huh. and ever and ever, because there's a visual, like there's a visual aspect to it that is like arresting and that you can only see in New York because even mm-hmm. the best touring company isn't going to have the chandelier fall from the ceiling, you know, at least not in the same way. Mm-hmm. So there's a reason and a spectacle to go see it. This show is intentionally devoid of spectacle, uh-huh. and. So these themes that are, I think, intriguing, whether you engage them directly as we're doing right now or not, I think that like it's a show you can watch over and over again and get something different as you grow. It 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 hits a lot of buttons because mm-hmm. um, like well, they, one of the one of the great things about it, like it doesn't have the spectacle, but it makes so much use out of imagination. It's like it's it's like uh, a lot of good children's theater. Where um, I've done a, a few children's theater shows where. We do a lot of things that represent grander things. And you know the kids are just going to go with that as long as you just believe it. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's kind of the great thing is like you don't need uh, the all the fancy stuff as long as you just fully exist in this place. And I think that's there's um, uh, something really marvelous about that. Mm-hmm. Um, there's the idea that I think everybody kind of understands of... of you know, you want to be, you want your life to be that Disney story, um, but reality doesn't work that way. And so that there's that whole like, you know, you're a teenager, you imagine that you're going to go out there and you're going to change the world and everything's going to be amazing. And then you get a little older and I'm like, well, mm-hmm. I'd really like to just, boy, wouldn't it be nice to have a garden to, a, yeah. so the, I mean, if we were talking about the dads. The dads do, uh, the dads do kind of represent the where they get later. Mm-hmm. And even though they're so very dad-like, you assume that there. I, I, I think there's kind of the assumption that when they were kids, you know, they they and uh, they did the same sort of stuff. They gave their parents a hard time, and eventually grew out of it and went. You know, what? this is kind of nice. So I'm just gonna I'm gonna relax in my rocking chair and do my gardening and not be inspire with my neighbor against my yeah, children on um, their behalf. Yeah. yeah. Um. And then you also get the other side of it, like you you still you get to have a little bit of fun imagining uh, seeing 
things through Elgayo's eyes, especially in Act One. It's like, ah, oh, that would be kind of fun to be the, mm-hmm. the, the dark, swarthy guy that does all these things. And mm-hmm. you also get to see Henry and Mortimer be the, be uh, just living without consequence. Yes. <laughs> um, just give me a thing to do, and I'll do it. Right. But like you say, they're alone, and they are mm-hmm. aimless. I mean, they are directionless, yeah. really, more than aimless. And El Gallo, who is the one... It's it's also this interesting thing to me of the, the character who is the most enlightened mm-hmm. is in some ways the saddest in the show, in El Gallo, and the fact that he is by himself... He, you know, he knows Henry and Mortimer and they're fun and yeah. he interacts with the dads and he interacts with Matt, but like kind of can't anymore. Like he's got to burn that bridge pretty hard with Matt and Louisa yeah. if they're going to be a couple. <clears throat> and you get the sense that like he's doing what he's doing out of a sense of duty and responsibility and he's improving yeah. the world possibly, at least the world of the Fantastics, but he is alone and left uh-huh. alone and will never be able to do, you kind of can't do both. You can't be the guy who rides in pretends and pretends to be you know the bad guy and then comes in and is the good guy doing bad things and also have a family you know like you can't have both well we do have planter radish yes yeah so i mean i don't really know what else you would 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 do there because the dads have to be the dads if it didn't start with the da 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 Plant a radish, get a radish, never any doubt. That's why I love vegetables, you know what you're about. Plant a turnip, get a turnip, maybe you'll get two. That's why I love vegetables, you know that they'll come through. Oh, I might, <laughs> I might hate it less. It's like, I don't know what else you do there. Like, they need, we do need to touch base with the dads. Yeah. And it is interesting to see how their philosophy on children has changed from we've got this on lock to, I don't know, like, I really would rather just deal with vegetables. Yeah. So much simpler. Um, But it is really, like, maybe it is my whole problem. (laughs) It just comes in with that, da-da-da-da-da-da. Ha! And it is also, like, I don't know, it's just a weird weirdly catchy generic song Uh in the middle of act two like it's like if that song was in act one where things are kind of bouncy and generic and and Mm -hmm. potentially romantic it would feel a little bit better but it's such a it's one of those act two numbers that you skip like when you're you're listening to this on cd or in your car on your phone whatever and it comes up and i just i'm moving on i don't want to hear it i i don't care and yeah, I can't honestly remember yeah. how I felt seeing it on the stage, but it did really be just like I. That's such a it's such a hole in the middle of, yeah. act, of this like otherwise perfect act, <laughs> musical theater to me. I think it's because well, it's also that 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 uh, the journey at that point they're not really a part of it at this point, other than just sort of commenting on this this, mm-hmm. this moment in their lives. So we we have we're that sort of like touch, touching base with them, but we really want to get back to the kids and and El Gallo dealing with them yeah so they really are kind of a sidestep from that it would be almost more interesting to see a song about the two of them talking about like we were talking about earlier their Mm -hmm. relationship now that they don't have anything to do oh sort uh of like now what am i doing you know like now what like now that our kids are together and now they've run away like what am i without or maybe it's like it was it was we're, we're rewriting we're the fix fantastic. It. No, we're gonna fix it. We're gonna fix it right here, right now. I think Peter. if they, if they, they, because the 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 song "Planet Radish" it, right, it, it seems like such a shrug mm-hmm. that they're going like, well, you know, we did our best with our kids, but you really don't know how it's gonna work. Um, if 
if the song was really more about the we thought this was going to play out this way mm-hmm. um, and it wasn't quite so uh, you know dismissive of that if it wasn't quite so much of a, a, a shrug if it was more of a more of a a I thought I thought the the sunlight was going to be more like this mm-hmm. I didn't think we'd you know I thought they'd be nice and romantic and want to do wagon rides and here we go and then you know you could actually use that moment to connect to their own histories that we never get to find mm-hmm. out about of you know when I met my wife you know, uh, yeah um, hear about their experience yeah. in the world and why they decided that the best thing to do mm-hmm. is to live next door to each other build a wall and force their kids together yeah. like why what was it that, that you mm-hmm. did or that you saw that what brought you together in the first place mm-hmm. um, would give their characters a little more dimension yeah uh and yeah oh, and thing it's, it's, our interest it's uh it's still a uh, the, the the show is still a product of essentially the 50s though, yes which yeah, is yeah. so it's it would be it would be really kind of very unusually progressive i mean there's some great stuff in that in that time period but it's it's um I feel like it's almost more of a 60s sort of thing to go, well, wait a minute. We need this number. It really feels like somebody said, you need a number in the middle of Act 2 that's happy. But I wonder if it was also, you know, they were probably, they were pretty young at this point. And I think the idea was like, we just want to get something up that people will like and it's kind of fun. And that, you know, part of the likeness of it was they did not have grand designs. They were just trying to get something up that they could throw into a theater and make a little bit of money so that then somebody else would take them seriously. Mm-hmm. Then they could write their own Phantom of the Opera yeah. or all this sort of stuff. Um, and I wonder if maybe, you know, when they put it up, that they they were kind of, su- maybe they were surprised that this thing is still going. I, I, I did not I'm expect sure they this. Were. Is, you know, this was supposed to be my little like side gig to try to, Right, get people to pay attention to, and me, they did know. write to hit Broadway musicals mm-hmm. that same decade. I mean, they did get to do that. They wrote "110 in the Shade" and uh-huh. uh, "I Do I Do," um, which were both hits in in the in the '60s. And they they could continue to write songs uh-huh. music as yeah. as life went on. Um, it, it but it, it was the little research I was able to do did reveal that this show was written to be to make money in that sort oh, yeah. of funny thing of like because there was this late trend in the 50s when off-Broadway really took off of small musicals running for a long time because they were cheap to maintain. Yeah. So I think they did uh-huh. uh, Three Penny Opera in the late 50s or mid-50s. Um, it ended up running for several years. And, you mm-hmm. know, this is obviously, again, it's important to remember the longest-running show in history on Broadway at this point was still Oklahoma, which had run for 2,000 performances, which was considered uncatchable. Uh-huh. So, like... A show that runs for five years is yeah. an unbelievable yeah. hit. And yeah. so our, our perception of that is kind of warped <laughs> yeah. when the three longest running musicals in Broadway <laughs> Clearly history. Clearly, you knew are how epic this running. was going right. to be. <laughs> exactly. So, like, this show was written to be a small chamber musical that could run for yeah. five years and be a huge moneymaker and do, and they kind of they accidentally chanced into. Yeah. The biggest music, like the most successful, probably financial musical in New uh-huh. York history. Um, because you got to imagine this thing was yeah. turning a profit two years in. Like it just yeah. all of a sudden. Is it invest, it, the amount in, invested to a return. Right. And it had absurd. 40 years to go. It's, it's, what is it? It's the, the music is just so nice. And uh, oh, yeah. a lot of it's so very sweet. Like the, the, the ballads. I love the ballads. Like that's the, the, um, 
they were you is like mm-hmm. one of those songs that like I just I want to repeat that. When the dance was done, when I went my way, when I tried to find rainbows far away, all the lovely lights seemed to fade from you. They were you. I want to figure out how to put that in my book, but I can't, you know. Um, uh, uh, but yeah, that one, in, uh, um, the Soon It's Gonna Rain is also like so much of that is just, just, just so nice and pretty. Soon it's gonna rain, I can see it. Soon it's gonna rain, I can tell. Soon it's gonna rain. What are we gonna do? Soon it's gonna rain, I can feel it. Soon it's gonna rain, I can tell. Soon it's gonna rain, what'll we do with you? Just feels so good. Yeah. Um... And it's just, it's such a fun story that everybody can, on some degree, relate. It doesn't try to do overly complicated things. It has a lot of fun with it. It hits lots of little buttons without overdoing a whole lot. Um, uh, it's just a nice it's little a, show. Yeah. It's a great show. Like I said, and it's, it is, unironically, I mean, one mm-hmm. of my favorite musicals ever for that reason. Yeah. Just that it just... I do feel like it's it's I, I when when I did it I I it to me it almost felt like a uh, a prequel to Pippin in that mm-hmm. it was it was you know having the young couple going through that fantasy and having things go sour and doing it in this way that was not trying to be realistic at all that was very fantastical mm-hmm. um and using musical tropes against mm-hmm. you as an audience mm-hmm. member. I mean, that's one of the things those two, that those two shows share mm-hmm. very firmly in common is that there's big production numbers or fun musical ballads or things. Yeah. But then these things get turned upside down at a certain mm-hmm. point and your expectations are subverted in the best possible yeah. way. And the sort of ugliness, or the harshness of, the, of reality as opposed to the musical yeah. world is presented, but it's still presented in a musical yeah. number. And that's really, that's brilliant. I think it's it it also really kind of it 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 uh it almost revels in its simplicity. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, totally. Uh, I mean, it's just the the when you have a musical that really just nicely uses mostly piano and some other stuff. Like we had a piano and a harp, mm-hmm. and there's some percussion in there. Um, but it's not a whole lot. There's percussion uh, on the recording. I don't know yeah. if there's any produ- like. But well, when, when, I, when we I, did it, did when we did it, percussion? I don't remember. I don't remember any percussion. Um, I noticed it wasn't there. This but, time okay, we had a, try we had to a, remember has like a brush drum yeah, at one point. Um, yeah, we had we had a piano player and a harp yeah. player. And I don't remember if there was. I don't remember if there was like a little side thing that maybe the piano player had like a little drum set. Or, yeah, um, which wouldn't surprise um, me. But it's just it it. You know, there's some musicals that 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 try to do that that, you know, just a piano and that sort of thing, and it's fine. Mm-hmm. Um, but it works really, just the 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 tone of it all just works really nicely. 
Thank you so much, Peter. For coming Absolutely. Down this was a lot Absolutely. of fun. Absolutely. Yeah. Thanks for having me. The original cast is produced and edited by me, Patrick Flynn. The original cast is on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at OriginalCastPod. You can follow me on Twitter at UnknownPenguin. Rate and review us on Apple Podcasts from the convenience of your iPhone and or check out the original cast on Stitcher if that's how you get down. My thanks to Peter Boyer for coming down and talking to me today. I'm Patrick Flynn, and I can't. I have rehearsal. <laughs>